A dish best served on the Rock of Gibraltar in front of 500 fans after a week on a cruise ship. It worked for Dillian White. He certainly made short work of Alexander Povetkin. Stopped the Russian in the fourth round of their rematch seven months after he himself was laid out cold. This is After the Bell, Mirror Fighting's boxing show with me, Martin Dolman, with my two guests who, to be honest, have disappointed me this morning. I was expecting... Sunglasses, cocktail <laughs> on the deck well, of the. I got a, got a smoothie from the uh, breakfast buffet. That's about as wild as it goes in there. I have a red, very red head, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the small victories. You two have, of course, been in, in Gibraltar this week. Before we come to the fight, it looked like a what we've come to expect from Eddie Hearn and Matchroom, a very slick operation. How was it out there? It was. Phenomenal! It's just yeah, nobody does it better. That's that's just the, the the truth of it. It's it's oh how, just to think of it, it was it was was quite incredible. But to actually be able to and see it in person, just that you no, know, everything from you know just how much that everyone loved us being here and you no, know, just yeah, it's just it's been like a holiday. That it sort of felt like the boxing going away a little bit. You know that's how. <laughs> <laughs> you, you almost forgot that you had to that you had to do some work while you were over here. But yeah, it was great, and uh, I don't know whether we'll be over here again. You know, it, but it was, and for the boxers, it, it's something that will stick in their memory for forever. It was it was so it slick that we almost we almost forgot that it was uh, in the middle of a pandemic and that we weren't allowed off the ship and that you know that this whole operation it was just you almost forgot you're on a boat as well. It's just sort of been felt like an old fight week and obviously everyone's mixing it because in the bubble everyone's tested numerous times so everyone's sort of allowed to interact like the old days I mean how they managed to pull it off with chartering a flight for everyone and getting the testing done the amount of red tape from both at both sides it's just staggering really and I mean we're talking now Sunday morning so you would say that you know it's all done and dusted and complete I'm sure something could still go wrong but it's just been like I just I don't know how, I don't know how they managed it, um, and I mean, the, just have fans back was just incredible. I forgot how good it is, but also how different boxing is with with no fans in those bubbles because we just sort of got used to it. But it ain't right, is it? No, definitely not. And, and boxing, as much as people will will mock and hate Sweet Caroline. At ten thirty on a fight night, let's be honest, it, it does it does add something to it. And I can only imagine if you if you look at the the first fight between White and Povetkin walking out as, as good as fight camp was, as, as impressive as that setup was as well, walking out into a garden, uh, an empty garden, a very eerie garden compared to even five hundred fans. You could tell even on TV how how good it how different it was and how good it was and. You know, Eddie keeps saying that hopefully what his May 15th show, I think, will be his planning for that to be his last one with no fans in the UK. We can only hope that is indeed the case. Let's turn to the fight itself. We said before, Dec and I said before we came on, Barry, it, was, it wasn't it was that different a fight to the first fight in terms of 
Dillian White was, was dominant. This time, he put Alexander Povetkin away, and Povetkin really didn't pose much of a threat. Yeah, I, th- I think the difference. Well, he didn't pose much of a threat in actual act in 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 results in what he was trying to do, but he, there was still a fear every time that he went to engage with Dillian White. There, that, that it could be it. I think. I think with with Dillian, when he when he goes for it, when he decides to to to, to try and hurt you, he's all in. There's no half measures with him. So he swings on the rafters when he throws that hook and when he comes with the right hand. So with that, there's great success and great results with it. But also, <laughs> there can be massive implications the other way around. And I think, you know, so when he does throw that big right hand, he dips the head down, he puts all his body weight into it, but he, he almost throws some of those punches blind. And that means you know, someone like Povetkin, who was trying to get in, just couldn't, luckily, for, um, for White, couldn't really get off. But that's because, but what the difference from this fight from the first fight is the jab. And I know I kept going up on the jab from the first fight and after the first fight, it had to be heavier and fast and come back faster. And it did. Where he was flicking it in the first fight, you know, I know a heavyweight can flick a jab and it's still a powerful weapon, but he really stepped behind it. You can see the inference there to Harold Knight, obviously, and that comes back from Emmanuel Stewart. They, they were all like really heavy on a solid left hand and he used that. And then he took half a step back. And that's just that just took away any counter-attack that Povetkin could make. He just maintained that space all the time. So he'd throw a good jab, take half a step back. Povetkin would either fall short or be afraid to throw. And then he, uh, Dillian would come back with the right hand. So he all week he's been saying, I'm just going to go for it. It's a fight. It's a fight. You know, I don't care what people say. I don't care what all the pundits have been saying. It's, just, it's a fight. And I got, got caught. I'm still going to go for it. And he did. But just after the weigh-in, we, we had him on Sky Sports. We had a little bit of honesty from him. And he said, I am going to be aggressive, but I'm going to do it intelligently. I'm going to think about my work. And, and that was the first time that he sort of gave away a bit, a bit of his uh, what they've been working on. And it showed uh, last night. How much, Declan, it's fine to say that physically it was it was a comfortable night, but how much of that, how much of the issue really for, for Dillian was, was mental? I mean, no matter how much he said that, being knocked out wasn't an issue, that it happens to the best of fighters, it still must be a difficult thing to, to deal with and to then come back with, come back from, especially fighting the same man. Like you, you can only bring back some sort of bad memories getting in there again. Yeah, but I sp- actually spoke to Darren Barker yesterday, a couple of hours before we left for the arena, and he said that, yeah, he probably will, there will be gunshot. He'll be thinking about it, obviously, but as soon as he's in there and he lands a couple, maybe gets one back, actually, he'll forget about it because the fight is there in front of him then. And, but I do think I agree with Barry that it was a good thing in the end because he, he was slightly more cautious, which totally then took away any hope that Povetkin had, which, let's be honest, in the end, that was all he had, was a puncher's chance and not a very good one because he, cause, cause he's smaller. We know what happened in the first fight and he kept trying to do it. That slip inside the, uh, Dillian White's jab and obviously he came up through the middle in the first fight. He was trying to go around the top. And then from that position, he also throws that blind overhand right as well. Um, so the little bit of caution was actually the key, the key to winning. I mean, we've got to say, Povetkin didn't look in good nick at all, did he? We'd, we'd mentioned about the COVID and everything else, you know, and, and whether it was going to be a factor. I think it, something was a factor. And I, it's not a case that he got old overnight because he was 42 or whatever, 41 or whatever he is. You know, that's not a getting old overnight. That's just being old. Um, and the chickens came home to roost a little bit. And like you say, it was quite similar to the first fight, really. It just didn't have that big swing um, 
not I don't mean swing of the fist, but I mean that swing from one person winning to being out on his back. That didn't come and closed the show. Um, and yeah, I mean, can't take anything away from Dylan White, but it wasn't the best Alexander Vetkin in the world. But he could he could have still come unstuck. There was still that that little opportunity for for Povetkin, but he didn't let him take it this time. Is there an argument about it? I know if you'd gone back nine months and said, you know, offered Dillian White two fights with Povetkin, one defeat, one win, he obviously wouldn't have taken it. But is there an argument now that he's, he's had to go through two fights? He's made the adjustments, as you mentioned, and he comes out of this little series a better fighter. Yeah, I, th- I think so because he. I guess when you're winning all the time, you know, you know, since obviously since Joshua and, and and just before that, you don't need to make changes because things are working for you. So you don't almost see your vulnerabilities because whatever happens at the end, you've got the guy out to there, or you know. So he didn't look back at the Derek's orifice and think, actually, I wasn't boxing great, but I got him out to there. He just seen, but well, I got him out to there. And you know, and this persona he has of being a tough guy, which he most certainly is, and you just you just live and feed off that and forget about it. So, as much as your coaches are trying to tell you something, which I know Xavier Miller is, is to be fair to him, he, he don't get enough credit. He's quite a smart trainer, even though he's a quiet voice. Dillian probably doesn't listen because oh, okay, 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 okay. But I don't. But I'm gonna just knock him out. So don't worry about it. But you need to make an adjustment. So getting how light in might be exactly the same information. But sometimes you just need a different voice. And so that defeat meant that they had to go searching for something else. And I think they, with Harold Knight, and, and luckily, um, Xavier Miller had enough um, like dignity, I guess, to allow, allow a man in. You know what I mean? Allow, allow a man into, into his camp without you know, kicking a fuss. And I think they worked quite well together. So, yeah, luckily for that. But, yeah, I think he's a better fighter now, more rounded fighter than... And again, now and he's back on. He's back on track. That's the most important thing. He's back on track to where he where he wants to go, and and he'll get a. He'll, I think he'll get a world title fight now in the next uh, anywhere from five to seven years. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the issue, isn't it? Because if you go back to August, then in theory, at least, he was that one win away from setting himself up for a fight with Tyson Fury. Now, whether you believe Tyson Fury is going to fight Anthony Joshua anytime soon or not, those belts are tied up. So, Declan, what, you know, Dillian White's never been a man to sort of sit on the sidelines and wait, but should he wait until, say, the end of the year when maybe the belts do sort of break up a little bit? If not, who who does he look at next? No, I think you've got to look at Dylan White. Not only has he had to deal, like all, you know, professional boxers with COVID and the sort of weird year that everyone's had but also he was not bang off track by the defeat so he doesn't want to hang around now but you're right if he if all goes well he won't be boxing joshua fury for 18 months okay if it doesn't happen in the summer who knows maybe the door opens for him this summer maybe you know that fury wants to fight he's he's you know wbc champion and dylan white's got the interim title maybe that's a fight that we see you know, if they don't manage to get Joshua Fury done for the summer, which is not out of the question. He, I spoke to him yesterday in his dressing room, which was like a weird cricket changing room or something. And he said he wants to fight Trevor Bryan for the WBA regular belt. He says it's the same belt that David Hayes held. You know, there's fights out there for him. There's, there's people in America. There's, it looks like America is the plan for him next because, you know, they want to build him there. It's a whole new revenue stream, the zone, all of that sort of stuff. Um, Deontay Wilder's a target, but who knows what he's going to do. So in answer to your question, no, I don't think he should wait around. 
and hope for a belt to, to fall, fall in his lap sort of thing. I think he's got to go and keep fighting, keep making money. And then if he gets the call, in he goes. Um, and he's outside of those two or three top guys, he's a, he's a commodity in the heavyweight division, isn't he? And he's, he's put himself right back in the picture with that last night. So I think he should take advantage of that. Well, and that's the thing, though. He's, he's, you know, he can earn money. He doesn't have to be a world champion. Usually, you only get you only really earn big money once you become a world champion. Well, he's earning millions without it, so he just needs a, a, a big, exciting fight to draw a crowd and because he's a pay per view star now. That's what he is. But also, what's important is if he get like you got to wait for Joshua and Fury to fight, and then they have, they have the first fight, and then the second fight, the belts will most definitely get fragmented. They hardly all have to. They can't hold Ranton for the belts for, for a couple of years, so he'll get a title shot at somebody else. But then. He's still on that trail. That that you know, he's still on that mission to just to prove, try and prove he's the best. Because no, one, even if he is a, a belt holder, no one will, will regard him as the best because it'll be the winner of Joshua Fury one and two who, who will be seen as the best. So he, he he might have a belt, he might have all the belts, but still they'll still say you're second or third. So the journey for him, he's searching. He wants to be the best. He wants to try himself at the best. So unless he boxes Joshua and Fury as much money as he's earned and a fabulous career that he's had already, I think he's always going to be a little bit unfulfilled. I think I think he would generally, except if he lost to one of those, he would sort of be filled up and go, well, I got to the, there what I wanted to get and I tried and it didn't work. He seems like that sort of character. But I don't think he'd be happy having all the belts around his, around his waist but then one or two fighters who would deem better than him fighting their own little, their own little um, trilogy, possibly. I mean, in an ideal world, and boxing is very rarely an ideal world, we do have a situation where if you section off Joshua and Fury, you, you could have a great little tournament, unofficial, official, whichever, to figure out who is, let's say, third best. You know, between it, you've got Wilder, you've got Ruiz, um, White, Joe Joyce, Usyk, you know, none of, none of that, whom have fought each other as professionals. That Ruiz fight, that's the one I would like to see most for Dylan White. I think that's a great style matchup. Size-wise, it's good. Um, stories, um, you know, people know about them both. I, I love that fight, but I, it's a good way. It would really be a good vehicle into America for him. He boxed in America on an undercard, a, a Terence Crawford undercard before, but um, I'd, I'd love that fight. Um, I think there's also a little uh, possibility of him fighting in China against Jale uh, Zhang as well, which is... You know, in in, day, in years gone by, when you hear that from a promoter or something, you go, oh, yeah, right. But actually, these weird fights and these weird destinations are actually far more likely than going to the O2 these days. So that don't rule that one out either. Um, I think the point is, is exactly, it's not, and the amount of money you get over there in China um, is all about territories and all that sort of stuff. I think that he um, he has a lot more options than... You might think, um, and you're right. It's almost like you know when you got the when you got a horse race and you've got the two favourites. You they offer a market outside of the favourites, that sort of job. It's like that, and the the fact is that's still going to earn him money, and it's still going to add to his legacy, and it will prepare him, much like the Rivas fight did and the Chisora wins. It will prepare him as and when something big comes up. So, yeah, I mean, there's it's such a good division at the moment. Um, who would have thought it ten yeah, years sorry. ago? So speaking of Chisora, that's who he, he fights to win a Chisora and Parker. That's what happens next. Mm. Let's be honest, it does. You know, 
know, we don't want, I wouldn't want to see a third Chisora fight or the first two were entertaining, but that's what, and he may, he might not want that, but they're going to say, you'll learn more from, from that fight than you will from any other. Mm, you might be right, but it, that would just, there would be a tinge of sadness to, 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 I mean, we don't want, we don't need to see, I mean, I'd rather, I don't know. I just think there are so many options out there that I do hope they, they steer away <laughs> from that. But you may well be right. <laughs> He's beaten them both. He's beaten them both already. I hope. I hope you're wrong, Barry. You're right. I do, it doesn't you know, happen but often, but I hope you're wrong. But they're on pay per view and they they win. And if and if, it's, if it's if it's an entertaining fight, which you know Chisora might make it, then all of a sudden they're you know you know promoters a G and Eddie Hearn's a great one of selling a story and a. And a, and a byline about how you know how they've reinvented themselves and, and they're better than they ever were before and, and yeah because they would do big numbers because they're well known is a well known name and so is Thing I would rather him go on like you said Declan and, and what we all would I think as well as Martin would rather see him challenge against someone like Luis challenge himself against a guy who's been a world champion again and, and, and see how he lands there and also he's just trying to do a better job than Joshua and that's another important thing or better or Fight Dillian, the point Deontay Wilder, if that could possibly be made, and do a better job than Fury if he can. I think that's important. That that gives you some sort of context then about how good he is compared to them. Does does Dillian White beat Andy Ruiz? Uh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I think he might, but I. Again, it's going to be another fight where he's going to be super disciplined. I think I, I, the reason I, I always sort of beg against Ruiz is that he is small, yeah. um, and now he's lost a load of weight. I'm not sure if that's going to help him. Um, I mean, you think you're he's going to be more agile and faster and blah 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 blah, but you won't have that physical. I know it was a lot of fat around him, but he's still, it was still weight that he could lean on people at times. But he's a born fighter. He's he's, he's boxed from a very young age, from a kid, and he takes a good shot, and and that's something that might trouble Dillian and maybe the speed but I think Dillian started the show if he can improve on what he did yet uh, Saturday he started to show the blueprint of how he's going to fight he's still going to be taking risks because that's that's his his whole persona is is, is about that but I, I think yeah, if he can be disciplined in a long hard jab then I think I would I would fancy him yes but not confident but then I guess that's that's what we want right those fights that are going to, to spark debate rather than See you. Play it again. Completely. And if you if you think as well, we don't really know what the best version of Andy Ruiz is because, you know, that was an incredible, almost an anomaly of a night in Madison Square Garden, and then he didn't show up for the rematch. And you know, he had a he had a good fight with Parker. Many people thought he got the decision, you know, or the decision was wrong. But we don't know what he, you know, what he's really got in the tank. And you know, now he's fit. What's that going to do for it? I, I love that fight. I think it's a really good one. And I think it's a really good one for, for Dylan White to go and quote-unquote crack America and then positions himself for either the winner of Fury Joshua or Wilder if he comes back. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure what the vibe is contractually and stuff like that, whether, you know, Ruiz obviously boxed on his own before against Joshua. So in theory, it should be, it should be an easy one to make, but th these things rarely are. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, I'm assuming we uh, we don't want to see Povetkin Price again. We, we want to see Alexander Povetkin just sail off into the sunset now. Yeah, he's had a fantastic career. Even the Aston from Olympic gold medalist, which was God, like 17 years ago, or whatever. You know, to you know to be in a world champion, and, and you know, so he's had enough. And I think you know, 
if he would have lost the first fight, I think he would have called it a day. But the fact that he, he landed that fantastic shot and he got another payday. So, you know, he's had a, he's had a result, really. And we have to take a few lumps for that result. But, yeah, he's had a result financially, I think. So he finishes on a high, you know, in, in another good fight. I think, you know, you've got to finish on a win, but very almost almost every fight it doesn't. So, yeah, he's had a good career. And, you know, and he'd be thought of well, I think. You know, he will. He'd be thought of well. Not, no, not for just the Dillian White loss or win, but for all, all the other stuff he'd done. Before that, which was much better. So yeah, let's call it a day. As much as you know, you can always be a danger. It gets to a point where you're just a danger to yourself, and that's what we don't want to see. Yeah, I re- I rarely say it, I rarely say it, but I hope I never see Alexander Beckin in a in a boxing ring again. Fair enough. That's pretty definitive. We will just touch on the undercard, a competitive one. Uh, Campbell Hatton made a winning points debut. It was an upset win for Nick Webb. Fabio Wadley dealt with Eric Molina, as you'd expect him to deal with Eric Molina in the shape he was in. Michael McKinson with a good win over Chris Congo and Ted Cheeseman. In a thrilling fight with JJ Metcalf. What was your highlight, Barry? What, what did you sort of pick out from the, the undercard? Well, what I've been picking out all week, and what I guess what, what Declan has and everyone has on the boat, is that you know, Cheeseman and Metcalf was always going to be a great fight. And what... A fight it was. It was just something else. I remember someone come up next to me and said, "What round are we on?" Because they don't. There's no ring card girls, and they don't announce. They don't say seconds out round thing. You don't hear it from where you are. I said round twenty five because that's what it felt like. It felt like <laughs> it literally. It felt like we should be seeing this in black and white on a cine film sort of thing. It was just unbelievable. And the two lovely kids outside. That that shouldn't matter for, for entertainment purposes. But the two real lovely kids, and you don't want to see them hurt or lose or anything. And and I picked Metcalf to win. Although you know, I I know Cheeseman better than Metcalf, but I picked Metcalf to win. I just thought that he had a bit more variety to his work. But Cheeseman boxed fantastic. I mean, he's been be- boxing better since the the loss to Garcia for the European title. But he boxed brilliant. He really did. And then all of a sudden, you no, know, he had Metcalf all over the place in the fourth round. And it was. There was like five opportunities for the referee to step in. And just when he was looking like he was going to, Metcalf would just throw that one or two shots with nothing on him, just enough to say, I'm okay. And the referee can step in if he's fighting back. And rightly so. And then after that, he won the fifth and the sixth, maybe. I'm not quite sure. But then he had a little bit of a run and then he made the fight all of a sudden. The fight was close going into the later stages. But fatigue plays his part, of course. And you know, and then and Cheeseman got the win, and, and what a win for him! You know, because he's had not just in the ring outside the ring, he's had a real tough time of it, and yeah, it was a great fight. It really was. It, it was, uh, it was a class. It was a, it was a small. It was. It felt like a small. Cut him five hundred people in there. It felt like a small hall classic, and it was so good that the crowd didn't know where these these kids were. Let's to be honest, and they were on their feet and they were cheering and masks were coming off that they shouldn't have been and. <laughs> It was it was phenomenal. It really was. It, it, it was just a, it was unbelievable. I keep saying the same thing, but like that fight will live in my memory longer than any other. He, he won a legion of fans. Judging by Twitter, obviously it was, it was on the zone in America, and the Americans absolutely loved it. They loved Cheeseman. Um, they probably don't know his story, what he's overcome and stuff. And like like Barry said, his improvement since the Garcia fight, which was a total nightmare for him, to be honest. When you look back on it, a war, you know, real a real beating. For, for long parts of it I think that is a massive obviously a huge win for him a defeat there would have been really difficult to sort of get back to and now you, he could he, he says he's the best at the weight in the division in the country I'd love to see him against Anthony um, Anthony Fowler 
one name that never gets chucked in the B side, <laughs> maybe maybe he's just above it, is Liam Smith. Um, I, you know, imagine, imagine Smith. I, th I think that's because they sort of see Liam Smith as beyond, beyond domestic, yeah. not involved. Yeah, that's all I think. Yeah, I I, I I agree with that. But you know, if he if he goes and beats Fowler, then the Smith fight is something. You know, you're right. Smith wouldn't go. Oh, I fancy fighting Cheeseman. That that would do a lot for me. But you know, Cheeseman, he's such a he's such a, a an easy boxer to like and to enjoy watching because he puts his punches together. He's so honest, so hardworking. Um, and I've got to as well say on that um, in terms of the undercard, Michael McKinson, who you know he's now he's what's that twenty one? No, he's only got two stoppages. Look at the way he throws the backhand from weird angles. He bolos it, sticks it round the side. Basically, I mean, he obviously dropped Congo in the first round and that really changed the whole pattern of the fight because then Congo was like, no, thanks. Don't fancy any of that. He calls himself the problem and that is absolutely bang on. I mean, he is, forget fully paid up member, he is the chairman of the Who Needs Him Club. Like, who wants to fight that guy? He's like a puzzle. He punches you really hard. You can't get near him. He's, he's pulling faces. Great, like a real good, and I know that a lot of people have known about him for a long time. You know, he's, it's not like he's some sort of flash in the pan. He's been going a while, um, been super confident all week. With, you know, his dad's here, his dad's his trainer, you know, their team. on the, You know, you can see when a team really, really fancies the job, and that's been the score with him. Just high-level fight that was, wasn't it? And often that Southport orthodox combination can be a bit of a tap fest with a lead hand. It wasn't that. It was... And for I think it was the second fight on the card. So he sat there at like seven o'clock watching that. It was yeah, it was a treat. So massive shout out to McKinson. I thought that was a you know big breakout night for him. Well, speaking of breakouts, what about Nick Webb? You know, really, yeah, he's, he's, he's coming as an opponent. They thought that like, five years ago, Nick Webb was you know, he's not bad, but you know he probably lacks confidence because he's been knocked out twice. And 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 you know I was in I was in this changing room before the fight, and I just said, listen, like. The fight that no one's put it on him before. I don't want to say credit for the win, but maybe, I, <laughs> maybe I a little bit, maybe you know. That's up to that, listen. That's up to them. I don't have to praise myself. <laughs> that's up to Nick to praise me, though he should. But that's his choice. But yeah, and he did that. But he got Scott Welsh in his corner. Scott's going to tell him. But Scott, you know, that was Scott's game. You know, you put it on and make him feel it early, and he did. And and fight had no answer to it. And it was a, just a real standout win. So now all of a sudden. He's got name like Babbage is calling him out now, and you know, that's a fun fight. But either way, that, keep, that keeps Nick in that in that that little a little pool of heavyweights just below the top ones in the UK or UK based. That that he can get entertaining fights, and he's back. He's back, and that's a, that's the wonder of boxing. One good win at any level can put you back in the mix with a, with you no know, rather than on the scrappy because two bad wins or three bad wins and you disappear. So. Yeah, it was it was great. And Campbell Hatton, I think, was you know, eat. It's a lot of pressure on the kids, and we put it. Um, no, if you call, if I yeah. call myself easy now as well, we put it on him. But 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 you have to. It's inevitable. Otherwise, you don't get on. You don't get on these bills if it's not that. But he tried too hard. He boxed okay. He boxed fine. And if he if he was if his name was Campbell Smith. Or whatever, then you would have got an idea. You're right, that kid. He struggled at the end a little bit, but he boxed okay. Because he's Campbell Hatton, he's going to get loads of criticism because he never knocked a guy out and he ran out the gas a little bit at the end. Just because he was trying, he was hitting the guy with everything and the guy didn't move. That's something you've got to learn about the program. It's not everyone falls over under pressure. But it was a fantastic learning fight for him and he's up and running. That's the most important part. Yeah, and I remember Conor Ben's first fight. Maybe yeah. his first few fights were, were you know, 
erratic at times as well. And and it just yeah. it just needs to be. You know, I think he's probably in the best place to be guided. There will be plenty of opportunities to fight. You don't have to stick him on in the middle of the car. Stick him on earlier on. And I'm sure he, well, I'm sure in Manchester he'll probably fight higher up the card at some point soon. But as much as we often, or I, I certainly often complain about fighters being moved too slowly, this is one where, as Eddie Hearn said, give him a couple of years, eight fights a year, and let's just let's just wait and see. That's the key, and that he's got enough dates that he can do that with with Campbell Hatton. And and speaking from my point of view, you know, as a freelance journalist, he's been absolute manner from heaven because everyone wants to have a slice of it. But I know for a fact now, his next fight, no one's going to be that interested because we've done the Campbell Hatton thing now. So now it will just dip out for a bit. And that's exactly what he needs to do. And the same thing happened with Conor Ben. I mean, to be fair, Conor Ben was still pretty, you know, the spotlight was still on him a lot. But I feel like with Campbell, they're going to be able to just take it even slower than they did with Conor Ben. He said he's spoken to Conor. He says that that's really the blueprint. There are a lot of parallels, both very raw, both very young when they turned over. Um, I think I think it could be fun. It's going to be fun, but learning on the job is the is the hard is the hard bit, isn't it? That's the hard thing to do. And that opponent was durable. He'd only been stopped once on his debut, um, and I think you know he was he was disappointed afterwards, to be honest, Cam. But that's a good sign actually that he didn't. He thought he he, he wasn't happy with his performance. So if he'd come out and he's like, yeah, you know, really thought he'd nailed it, then that would be concerned. But he. He's so he's so he's such a humble, level-headed kid for the amount of like spotlight and pressure on him. I've never seen a debutant have do so much media, um, and it will stand him in good stead in one way. But it was it's ridiculous. Like it was ridiculous, and you know i you know as a member of the media, I've got so you know part of the problem. But it will it will fade off now. The debut's done, and he can just he can just crack on. The thing is, where like, most most when. You, how many kids have you seen in a debut and go, oh, this kid's going to be a star, and he's failed, dramatically failed? Yeah. And how many kids have you, have you been underwhelmed with or didn't even remember seeing their debut, and all of a sudden, or, or didn't even know they had their debut, and then all of a sudden, you know, in three years later, four years later, they're, they're, they're superstars or champions of the world or whatever they are, you know, so you don't know how he's going to develop. The, the, the chances of anyone being a world champion are very slim, and, and, and chance, the chances of someone coming from that much success in one family and also very thin so you know he's he's got a lot to do but let him develop we don't know what he's going to be this this uh, no we're going to the media train's going to push around him and he's going to get lots of criticism on social media and praise of course in in certain fights but ultimately until it's only been a pro for two or three years you just don't know where he's going to go and that's just like it was with Conor Ben you wouldn't have seen where he was now he's looking really good now but a couple of years ago you just you thought he just hasn't. He, has, he lacks experience. He lacks something. But so yeah, you just don't know. It's certainly going to be a fun journey. And speaking of journeys, I know you two are desperate to get back to the UK. So I don't want to hold you <laughs> up from. Uh, we're back on back on the plane. Off. Back on the plane today, and then we're just released into the public. With well, actually, no, we're in quarantine for ages, <laughs> testing every two minutes. Um, but yeah. Going to be, it's been a, it's been a fun one, and I think we'll be back. I think, I, I, I think this is only the second professional boxing show they've ever done it, and I feel like we'll be back at some point, and everyone will be able to come. And Gibraltar, man, it's the future. Oh, it's brilliant, it's lovely, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I just need a customs boat by here, Declan. You that sounds like a good point to leave it. We'll be back next weekend after Carl Frampton's bid to become a three-weight world champion 
Ireland's first when he takes on Jamel Herring. That's in Dubai, Saturday night. Please do join us then. And until then, do take care.